You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board, where we remember the past to inspire the future. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to Missions History Podcast. I'm David Brady, and my co-host is... Scott Peterson. Today, we are very excited to be talking about the life and legacy of missionary Bill Wallace, and I'm going to ask Scott to introduce our special guest. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, we're, we are excited today to have uh, the Dean of the Libraries from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Craig Kubik. Uh, I've, I've known uh, Dr. Kubik for a few years now and from different settings, but uh, I'm excited about his most recent project of, of uh, writing and researching about more about Bill Wallace. And uh, so welcome, Craig. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Dr. Kubik, as uh, we begin, just give us a little background about yourself, your life, and your conversion to Jesus Christ. Well, I, um, I am from Louisiana, and I grew up in Alexandria and went to church at Parkview Baptist Church. And at age 12, I accepted Christ uh, as my Savior. I went on, to, of course, through high school and college, and I studied library science, and all along the way, the men and women in my life were uh, Christian librarians and Baptist librarians, uh, and so I naturally felt that uh, the Lord would have me serve in theological education, and so I've been privileged to be a denominational servant for 40 years now. That's, that, uh. is, that is a wonderful uh, a wonderful tenure of service. So, so thank you for that. And I'm going to let Scott ask a little bit about our topic for today. Yeah, so many of our, our listeners may be familiar with a, a book called Bill Wallace of China, written by Jesse Fletcher a number of years ago. And that story was also made into a movie. But uh, it, it's, and the book has been published a number of times. But Dr. Kubik, you've uh, taken on some new research in that area, and uh, so tell me, what what got you interested in the Bill Wallace story? Well, you talk about the book, and that book was also important to me as well. Actually, when I started seminary uh, approximately 40 years ago here at Southwestern, the very first book I purchased as a seminary student was Bill Wallace of China. I had read it, but I had not owned it, and that was the first item I purchased, and it, didn't, it continued to impress me, and I've always kept it through these 40 years as one of my display books on my shelf because it's important that standard sort of Red cover, red and black cover right. has stood out on my library shelf. And uh, all the time I've admired Dr. Wallace, and that brought us to the unique opportunity here at Southwestern Seminary a couple years ago. You know, that, that speaks volumes, to use a literary analogy, of a librarian and when you talk about one of his favorite books, and so the Bill, the Bill Wallace of China story. But before we get into that unique opportunity that you just referred to, 
Uh, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about who Bill Wallace was and his ministry and impact? Because while many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the story, there are likely others out there who are just wondering, who well, who is Bill Wallace? Well, I can talk a long time about that, but we'll, I'll try to put some things in, uh, in order by chronology. He was born in Knoxville, Tennessee in uh, 1908, so you know he's, he would have been over 100 years uh, old, so he, he's, uh, he's been gone a long time. His uh, parents were Dr. and Mrs. William Wallace. Uh, his dad was a medical doctor. And so one of the interesting things I think about it is even as a boy, he got a driver's license at about age 14 to help his dad drive when at, late at night when his father had to go on uh, emergency trips to different uh, patients' homes. So I think, would you give a 14-year-old a driver's license today? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Well, you know, as you mentioned that, I, I guess a lot of our listeners will say, oh, well, that's how Bill Wallace got his medical lineage and his got into his career. But he wasn't really headed in the direction of medicine originally, was he? You're right. He He thought he might just be, he had a real strong... Uh, mechanical understanding. So I, I think he might have thought he would go into some sort of uh, mechanics or engineering or, or something in that, but it certainly helped him later in life. <clears throat> but then, as you know, he felt a call to be a medical missionary uh, one day in his uh, in the family garage. He was tinkering on a on a car, and he felt the called to be a missionary, and he knelt down and wrote in his Bible uh, that he was called to follow Christ and to be a missionary. And unfortunately, as far as I know, we don't have that Bible, but it would sure be nice to have that written down, that expression of his commitment. Wouldn't it, though? So, yes, so he went, uh, his mother died when, when he was still young. She died of influenza and so he's very close to his dad, and he went on, of course, to go to medical school. He took some pre-med at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and then he went to Memphis, uh, the University of Tennessee, Memphis, where he got his medical degree. Uh, and then he came back, went back to Knoxville for a little while. He was in the military, and he was assigned to the to the hospital there in Knoxville. He was an intern there, and I think he made about $50 a month. And um, I had the privilege of going to that hospital where he actually was in a little office, and he wrote the Foreign Mission Board and volunteered and said he was called to be a missionary. Wow. And so what happened then? I mean, what, how did they respond, and and uh, where? How did how did he get to end up where he he ended up? Which our listener, we haven't even said where he ended up yet. So, well, uh, he he does say in the letter that he's uh, willing to go anywhere. I think he had a, a a feeling for China all along. 
So they responded very positively, and I guess the Foreign Mission Board had uh, a place already in need that was in Wuchow, China, at the Stout Memorial Hospital, and he was assigned there in, uh, in 1935, and so he goes to Wuchow. Craig, let me ask you a question on that. Um, it seems like his letter also um, came around the same time that a letter came from that hospital um, and from a Dr. Badeau. Could you share with our listeners about that connection? Well, I, boy, I'm not sure I can. <laughs> Scott, I'm not, I don't know what you're uh, driving at here. I'm sorry. Yeah. The you know Dr. Badeau was the doctor there that oversaw and worked at Stout Memorial, and um, he shares okay. in or is shared in a book, biography about him. Uh, David, what's the title? Doctor in an old world. Doctor in an old world, and that he's needing someone to come out and assist him. And uh, David may okay. have have the reference, yeah. but uh, yes, I, okay, yes. In Wuchow, Dr. Badeau had written because they were in need of a, another doctor, and uh, Dr. Badeau was the administrator at the hospital, and he, he was very anxious for someone to come. And as you read later in some information that Dr. Badeau reports about Bill Wallace in the first year, how much Dr. Wallace was... Um, immediately embraced by the Chinese people and how much time Dr. Wallace spent with his patients. Um, so, Craig, tell us, where is this Wu Chow that the Stout Memorial Hospital is located? Well, it's, uh, it's near Canton. It's in the, in the eastern part of China, so it's not central, it's, but more, more towards the east, and it's inland. And you get there largely by, in those days, by going up the river. So, uh, uh, Craig, Bill Wallace, he answers the call uh, to, to go as a medical doctor, as a medical missionary. Uh, a call comes back to the States from, from Wuchow, China and Stout Memorial Hospital about the need. And he answers that call. And... Uh, Tell us something about what transpired as he heads overseas and as he arrives in China and the work that then he takes on. Well, uh, I can tell you something about uh, his preparation for leaving. He uh, enjoyed his church so very much, and they were so supportive of him. They... Uh, that would be the Broadway Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. They are they supported him and they actually paid his salary while he was in China. Uh, I guess they paid it to the Foreign Mission Board and then on to him. I think he got fifty got fifty dollars a month, and and they were also very supportive of uh, the uh, Stout Memorial Hospital. And when he gave his final address as he was leaving for the mission field, he talked about how he was going because someone had prayed. Mm. 
do you happen to have um, that access to that where you could might read us a few sentences from his um, his leaving? Yes, I've got it here. I'm trying to have some of this material ready for you. Okay, well so, let's uh, let's hear about the letter that he wrote uh, upon uh, related to his leaving. So he says, "I want to go to China because someone has prayed. God heard these prayers and has answered." as he always does when God's people pray. Mm. I would rather be going out as God's missionary this morning than anything else in the world. Wow. You know, I hear he was a man of few words, but boy, he made his words count. He he was uh, very sincere. And in our collection, we do have the original handwritten transcript that he wrote uh, of of his... uh, address to the church. So it's, 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 it's quite precious, actually. Yes, that, that is. So what is his ministry at the hospital? What would, what would that have looked like for him? Well, he was a, a, a surgeon, and so when he, well, when he went to China, he spent about a year in Canton studying Chinese, and then he went on to Wuchow, as and as a surgeon, from all of our uh, accounts from other missionaries and even from uh, some Chinese uh, citizens, he spent his days in selfless service to his patients and to the people in Wuchow. He had a an apartment that was in the compound, but more often than not, he actually would sleep in the basement or on a little balcony near wherever the patients were so that he would be on call literally 24-7, and he was always watching. Not only did he watch his patients, but during the war, uh, when during the Japanese invasion and even afterwards, he would sleep sometimes on that porch or veranda so that he could do two things, watch the patients and watch the gate that everyone would be safe. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's so many things to, to learn about Bill Wallace's life and so many directions we can go. Um, he loved medicine, I know, but... It, he was, Dr. Badeau had some other things that he wanted him to take on or that he felt like uh, Dr. Wallace needed to take on, but Dr. Wallace was resistant to that, if, I'm not, if I remember correctly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, Dr. Wallace did not really feel like he was, uh, it, it, that he did not feel like he had strength in administration. And I gather he really did not like to do paperwork or uh, deal with things financial. <laughs> so he was challenged to to take care of that. I think Dr. Bedell went home on a sabbatical or was out for a while at one of those years. And Dr. Wallace did have to do those things. But uh, from all accounts, it was a challenge for him to maintain that. So he was always, he was glad when Dr. Bedell came home to back to China so that he could uh, not have to worry with that. <laughs> there you go. Right. So 
So you mentioned uh, the war a while ago. What kind of impact did the Japanese invasion and occupation have on the ministry there of the hospital? Well, we know that uh, we have found in Dr. Wallace's letters that he wrote home to his uh, sister, Ruth. He had one sister. uh, Just before he went to be a missionary, his, his father passed away. So he didn't have parents, but just the one sister. And so he would write her, and as you said, he was a man of few words, and so he would send letters home during the, during the Japanese occupation. Oh, we're fine. Uh, there was a bombing, but we're fine. Not, and always expressions of, do not worry about me. We're fine. You're right. Uh, so it's you know, three or four lines, and that's all he would write his sister Ruth. I'm sure she was <laughs> wishing he would say more than that, but I guess he communicated the basic uh, information. We do know that the Japanese uh, in- bombed the area. The hospital sustained quite a bit of damage, and actually during one of the bombings, he had a patient on the upper floor that he just could not move. And so he stayed by this patient's bedside. I think it was like a gallbladder or something. It was serious enough in those days. And apparently a bomb fell within feet of, of him and it took out the roof, but he and the patient were spared. And apparently no one else in the hospital uh, was hurt because they moved to the lower level. So God was great and God was good. Yeah, that's right. Tell us about, was there a, a point in that, that um, the hospital was actually, the, the city was evacuated and the hospital was, um, I guess, put on barges and moved? Is something like that I've heard? Yes, sir. You are right. And that that is a fascinating uh a bit of history, he did uh, come to the point that the city was evacuated and he had to make the decision uh, what to do about the hospital. So apparently he had uh, helped the provincial governor, I believe uh, it was an appendicitis actually with him, and the provincial governor sent up barges and they loaded the hospital, all the beds, all the equipment onto the barge, and they went down the river, uh, averting the Japanese. And they hid in some caves at time. They hooked up with the uh, Red Cross at another point. And so they stayed out of Wu Chow. Uh, so it was uh, a hospital on a boat. We think of hospitals on boats now, you know, uh, in the international uh, ways, you know. But he had a hospital on a barge boat <laughs> yes. back then. A riverboat so hospital. Was, <laughs> so that's quite remarkable. Yes. And uh, when, they, when they returned, of course, they found the hospital was bombed, but they were able to restore it. And it's fascinating to learn that he... He was super, he supervised everything. He did so many things. He apparently rebuilt himself the the stove for cooking. They took uh, cabinets and refashioned them. He was skilled in in able to you know bend metal and fabricate things. 
pulleys, levers, things that they needed in the hospital. He could just do it because he had been a mechanic as a as a kid. So if he if they needed a tool for medicine, Dr. Wallace could make it because he knew what he was doing. We we just uh, I recently saw. Uh, that that photo, a photo of Dr. Wallace with that stove that you're referring to uh, that we've had digitized here with part of our photo collection at the IMB. But um, I want to just go back just a, a, a brief uh, a few seconds to talk about, you know, you think about a hospital in a war zone like that and how it continued to function. And we talked about the movement, the evacuation of it. But, you know, there was a time where uh, medicines and supplies, I imagine, were in short supply. So how did they get those supplies in? Is there- well, I, uh, from what I understand, I think they did get some, were brought in. Uh, Rex Ray, oh, I yeah. believe, was a, Rex Ray was around and uh, a missionary. And I'm, I'm not sure he may be from Texas. Do you remember, Scott? He is a Texan, a big, tall gentleman. Uh, yeah, his cowboy hat. Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, his name I had heard, uh, also at the same time I learned about Bill Wallace and I think Rex Ray did was sort of, uh, a, a runner of medicine and he had a great, he had great connections and he got things in. I also think the American, um, there was an American Chinese hospital that, uh, they, uh, connected with and they did get some medicine through our American sources during that time right. period. Yeah, just for our listeners out there, that the Rex Ray story in and of itself is a fascinating story about how he ran the blockade and smuggled medicine in. But of course, that's not our topic for today, maybe for a future podcast. Tell us a little bit about um, outside of being a physician and a surgeon, um, what was his relationship with people and children? Any, any stories that you'd like to share with us from that aspect of his life in China? Well, uh, I know he was well-liked. Uh, apparently, um, the Chinese did uh, felt comfortable enough to, to kid him a little bit. Uh, I have recently read about where he arrived in, in Wuchow, and they, he was asked to pray or, and he starts out in Chinese, and uh, he prays the Lord's Prayer. And, and during the early part of it, the Chinese just uh, laugh hilariously at his uh, pronunciation. And afterwards, one of the older, more uh, revered members of the church said, you, you prayed my pants who aren't in the field. <laughs> of, <laughs> I love it. My pants who aren't in the field. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great my, story. That's a great story. Instead of our, instead of our father, our, uh, my pants that are in the field. <laughs> uh, so apparently he really, uh, he laughed and they just had a good time with that. He did, uh, it's been noted that he would, get up in the mornings and he would go with the, the staff, the Chinese staff, and have devotional. He was always ready to do that, even though he might have worked hard and tired all during the night. He always went to the Chinese churches. He enjoyed the children. Uh, one of the things I have learned is 
he they had a nursing school and he wanted the, the nurses to go to their church dressed in their uniform, in their white uniform, because they represented the Stout Hospital. Ah, that, that is something. So I know we, we want to talk about his legacy. We want to move to that. But before that, just tell us what happened to Bill Wallace that sort of um, makes him someone that that the world took notice of. Well, of, of course, his he served there from 1935 to 1950. He was there during the Japanese invasion. He also uh, lived during the time uh, of the communist uh, change, and as a result of that, he was martyred uh, in 1951, um, having been jailed and, and was a martyr for Christ. So his story and giving his life is the witness that we admire and uh, tell about. So was there, um, you know, I mean, if he was jailed, how, how do we know that story? We know the story of Bill Wallace at that time through another missionary named Everly Hayes. And she was his nurse. She came there uh, later in the time period. She did, did not come until uh, the 40s. And um, so... Because she, I guess she came in 1947-48. Before that, Lucy Wright had been there. So Everly Hayes was the director of nursing, and so he sent a lot of the other missionaries on home, but he and Everly stayed to run the hospital. And it's through her eyes and through her writing and through her telling the story of Bill Wallace that we know. And and, and Everly Hayes' story is pretty big, too. Is it written anywhere? Uh, as far as I know, it is not. There, there are a few uh, articles to be read in some omissions magazines through, through the years, but there's not a biography of, of Everly Hayes. On a side note, I did receive a month ago her correspondence to her sister, that has been lost for several years. So I have all the correspondence that she put together during that time period that she sent to 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 her sister. Well, you've you've, you've so to... we're, we're working we're working on that. That's the latest item that we are digitizing and trying to read as we go along. Too. Right, and, and you you in some correspondence that you and I had, you mentioned that you had discovered that and that had been uncovered. But in past conversations, you know, we talked about how you began to take on this research and, and began to okay. look at, at this and uh, not to, I don't want to steal any thunder from you, but I know you've made some other discoveries. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how, uh, you began to look more deeply at Bill Wallace's life. Well, a couple of years ago, our administration had the opportunity to be in uh, Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where Dr. Wallace is from. And there is a church called the Wallace Memorial Baptist Church. It was named for Dr. Wallace after he was martyred, of course. And the pastor and 
uh, a couple of the church members decided that it was important to collect as much as they could on Dr. Wallace while the folks were still alive. And so they put together a plan to archive and make recordings of people that were alive, including Everly Hayes and Lucy Wright, those folks who knew Dr. Wallace. And so they had compiled this archive, and we had the opportunity to visit with them and told them of our seminary's interest in missions because we have a school of missions here. And they were willing to give us on permanent loan their archive of Bill Wallace material and writings and with the purpose of digitizing it, and that's on our library digital archives. And so that's how 40 years after I had purchased the book, I had the opportunity to go and actually see and touch and deal with the real life um, writings of Dr. Wallace and and see the pictures uh, of him as a child. And so that's how my interest got restarted with Bill Wallace of China. And wasn't it a a former pastor of Wallace Memorial who was working on a dissertation where he was going to to tell the story of Bill Wallace as well, and he had begun to collect even additional materials? Yes, you, you are right. He, he was one of our students here. He, uh, due to medical reasons, had to suspend that. He did uh, really start uh, talking about it, and he even donated a picture to our seminary. Uh, and so it just seemed to be coming all around the possibility of, of being involved with Bill Wallace. And, and so now it's, it's part of my life, shall you say, my, as I research and look for new material on Bill Wallace. So, Craig, um, as we think about this, and we want to talk about what direction you're taking the story, but uh, we, you have the death and then the world notified of the death of Bill Wallace. Tell us some of the things that began to take place, like the writing of the story, and was that was that story was that book sold a lot? Th- those types of things. Tell us how the legacy of Bill Wallace uh, began to um, to 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 take effect after his death. Well, I think uh, I have to say the the most dramatic uh, writing that I have found. Uh, is Everly Hayes's letter to, I believe it's Baker James Cawthon, as well as other parts of the of the Foreign Mission Board, where she recounts how Dr. Wallace was arrested and how she had to go retrieve the body. So as far as the, the, that part of the story, we are, we have to attribute to Everly Hayes because she is our close was among the closest people to him during that time. Do, do so, you have that letter with you? I have that letter with me. Would you, would you, read, would you read some of that to us? There is a, a section on the, that starts out where she recounts um, exactly what, uh, what's happening. And so it goes like this. Dr. Wallace was called out of his room to go to the hospital 
to gather the staff and students and servants and also family living on the compound to go to the fifth floor of the hospital building. At the same time, a group that the group called out, Dr. Wallace, another group came to my house and wanted to search there. They tried to contact Dr. Wallace, but, but she wasn't able to, and she was placed under house guard while they searched the hospital and her room. So they confiscated extension cords and were disappointed not to find something like a wireless sending set. They went through and searched for about a, an hour. My army human, uniforms caused her great trouble, if anything else. She says, I was able to produce my identification card, which marked inactive, and they dismissed the, the affair. It should be state, stated so that our listeners will know, um, Everly Hayes had served in, uh, Mila, in the Army as a nurse. So I'm not sure why she took her Army uniform, or maybe she just had it. But, you know, in hindsight, probably not a wise idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Uh, I did not see Dr. Wallace until after they had, quote, found the gun under his mattress. He told me at the time the gun was produced, he was busy trying to explain some of the electrical equipment in his room. The two other staff members who were helping him were so engaged in trying to explain something to another at the time the gun was found. So no one saw where the gun had come from. They only saw it after it was announced. Later, there were some vague stories about someone in a dark clothes having been seen around the room, and uh, they could not confirm this. Dr. Wallace told me that the gun definitely was not his, but they also found, and that's in quote, found bullets to fit the gun by the outside door on the opposite side of the house. Uh, this was the door that Dr. Wallace never used. And apparently they... Um, these were spent shells, and nobody heard a gun being fired, so it was definitely a plan. Right, definitely a plan. So, it, as the story goes, though, the the uh, the Chinese um, officials did not say that um, he died, um, uh, uh, you know, from being uh, executed or from being tortured. What was what are the different stories and why does Everly Hayes, why does she think that he really was killed? Well, this is a, a good time to tell you that I just had a new translation of an audio tape that was made in 1987 uh, by uh, Dr. Wong. This was done when members of the Wallace Memorial Church went to visit Wu Chow and Dr. Wong had served with Dr. Wallace. And so the recording of this interview takes place in a, a fairly crowded, busy area and with a great deal of anxiety, they were concerned about getting it out. So we finally had it uh, translated into a good format, and in in this interview, Dr. Wong, who was an obstetrician with Dr. Wallace, um, tells us really what happened, and also confirms what Everly Hayes has indicated that that Dr. Wallace did not hang himself. That's what the Chinese government said. Okay, they hung Apparently, at, 
at at the time of the uh, death, the there was uh, Everly Hayes and Mrs. Nurse Lim were called to identify the body, but apparently there was the undertaker's assistant was called to prepare the body to be identified, and this. gentleman apparently was a friend of Dr. Wallace. So the Chinese undertaker uh, took care of the body and told Nurse Lim that the body on the back and in multiple places, there were deep electrical burns and lacerations and shock. And he had been in contact with some of the others who were in the prison and that Dr. Wallace had died from electrocution. I see. Okay, wow. So this is, uh, according to this transcript and this interview with Dr. Dr. Wong, of course, Dr. Wong was not the, not the person who dressed the body. So it is one or two people removed, but it's on, I think it's a very good line of evidence of what happened. Dr. Wong also goes on to say that they did, the jailers did indeed uh, tear bed sheets in order to hang him up, but there were no bruising on the neck. There was no signs that would normally accompany any type of hanging if the person was alive. Well, that, and that, that's strong evidence. The undertaker, yeah. the undertaker reported this to the to Nurse Lim. Nurse Lim tried was afraid. She tried to flee Wu Chow, and she was arrested and spent about twenty years in prison before she was allowed to come back. So um, that's another reason uh, that. Uh, we think that it is a legitimate uh, cause of death. Mm. And uh, wasn't there a, um, some relationship that he had um, with Jesuit priests in the area um, that w- maybe you can speak to that? There were um, there was a Jesuit priest who went on, I believe, to be a bi- one of the bishops in Canton. He was arrested and a, and had a cell across from. From uh, Dr. Wallace, there were also some couple other priests, and uh, apparently a nun or two were also incarcerated there. He indicates that uh, he had heard earlier during the day Dr. Wallace crying, but uh, he did not. He didn't. He did not see anybody go into the cell, so he sort of thought that Dr. Wallace might have hung himself, but he has no, he had no visual eye contact to be sure. Uh, I suspect that uh, Dr. Wallace was probably dead, returned to his, um, to his cell, or he was already too very, very weak when he was returned to the cell and he passed upon return. Upon return. That, that makes sense. Well, Craig, tell us now a little bit about some of the ways that the story has been told, um, starting with the Jesse Fletcher book and then other ways that the, the Bill Wallace story has been uh, told through the years. 
Well, we know, yes, the Jesse Fletcher did. Uh, he worked at the Foreign Mission Board. Is I, am I not correct on that? That's you right. are, yes. yes. And so uh, he was involved and he wrote this the, by using the resources, did interviews, and put together uh, the, the Bill Wallace of China book. And which was later made into uh, into a movie. It was not a high selling movie. It did um, get some support. Southern Baptists and others um, gave donations or bought into the movie, um, and it was produced. It was re released. I know to a number of the Baptist churches for different missions things, and. Uh, Everly Hayes spent some time. She gave a, a, a speech at the convention back in the 50s telling about the story of Bill Wallace. And so she and others who knew Dr. Wallace continued to, to tell the story. There have been a couple other um, additions to the Bill Wallace of China with some added bits of information added put in. But essentially the... The Jesse Fletcher book has been our um, our mainstay there. I talked with Dr. Um, Fletcher's son two weeks ago. He is, uh, Dr. Fletcher was up in Abilene, Texas. He passed away. I talked to his son, and he is going to give us all of the manuscripts and reports from his book research. That's excellent. So we're we're excited about having that come to us, hopefully within, um, probably within a month or so. So there may be some little nuggets there as well. So with the the movie, this was a Hollywood production? This was, yes, it was a Hollywood production. It was, uh, it was filmed in Hong Kong. Uh, and it was released. I I don't recall right, the house that did. It wasn't a mainline okay. one, but it was. But it was a Hollywood production. And, and who played in that movie? Gregory Walcott portrayed uh, Bill Wallace of China, right. and uh, he's a, he's a fairly well known name in Hollywood. He did some other movies, some some B level things, and he was on um, Hawaii Five O. One one thing, Craig, that always surprises me, um, Southern Baptists, no Lottie Moon, but I would have to say that uh, probably the most widely read biography of a Southern Baptist missionary is probably Bill Wallace of China. Now, it's not this generation that knows it, but some of the um, our older um, leaders and, and members in Southern Baptist churches, it was widely read. Agreed. Yes. So, yeah. So we know that you you've got a new work coming out uh, at some point. Why don't you? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that and and how you're retelling or how you're expanding on the story of Bill Wallace? Well, of course, uh, the basic story will still be be the same. His uh, his calling as a young man, his going to China, and his devotion there. Uh, I am seeking to put together some of the other points where people have been, were affected by Dr. Wallace, uh, those little stories that, uh, where he made an impact upon lives. Uh, those will be the kinds of things that I'm 
seeking to 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 isolate. Uh, I have uh, also recently had a conversation at, with um, Dr. Wallace's uh, only living nephew, Sidney Stegall. He was the daughter of Ruth um, Wallace Stegall, and he, as a child, knew Dr. Wallace when he came home from Sabata on um, on furlough. So we're having an interview with him and having him reflect upon his uncle there. And of course, we want to tell uh, the fuller story of uh, Dr. Wallace's death, reporting some of the Jesuit priests, um, the information that they share, this uh, recently recovered information by Dr. Wong um, that's been translated, and putting that into perspective. I, I'd like to also tell you that, you know, he, Dr. Wallace suffered from uh, paratyphoid attack not too long before uh, he was incarcerated. He was so, so very ill. He was, you know, almost comatose for a week. So he had already worn himself down physically uh, dealing with the, the strain that was there. And then when he was put in prison, certainly that was taxing. So putting, you know, all of those pieces together gives a little richer understanding of how much he sacrificed for his faith, for his God, and for the people he served. That's fascinating. That's that's very well said, and and uh, we're we are um, eagerly anticipating uh, your your book, and we will um, uh, tell our listeners about it when it comes out. And we just uh, thank you for taking time to share with us today, Doctor Kubik. Thank you so much for being our guest on Missions History Podcast. And uh, for Missions History Podcast, I'm David Brady, and I'm Scott Peterson. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Missions History Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And check out more great content like this at imb.org.